Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Good morning. I'm so glad you're here. Can I be so bold as to say to you today that if you will grasp what the Holy Spirit has written in this chapter of Colossians, the second chapter, it will answer and satisfy almost every one of your questions and problems the rest of your life. But if you miss it, woe be unto you. It's that important. See, I believe one of the problems in the church not in this church particularly, but in the church generally, is that we're hearing too many sermons and not enough messages. A sermon is a well-prepared, systematically presented, organized statement of facts. It works anywhere for any group. A message, on the other hand, is something different. It may be similar, it may look the same, but it touches and changes a heart. Now let me ask you a question just between you and me. How long has it been since you left church changed? I want to be. I want to be changed. I I want some questions answered. I, I, I want some problems solved. I want some hurts healed. I want to see something happen in the lives of people. I have not been able to escape it. Years ago, when I first had been baptized in the Holy Ghost, and and that is a real experience, guys. It's not some Pentecostal rumor that you've heard. There is a time in a person's life when the Holy Spirit absolutely captivates them and infills them to overflowing. And I can't speak for everyone, but I have never, ever been the same since that happened in my life. It changed me. It gave me a perspective 
that I did not have previously. It provided a resource that I did not have previously. It absolutely changed my life to where people that I knew and had known ask me what's different. You're, you're changed, something's wrong. You just walk into the room and people said, what is it that's different about you? And it's the presence of the living God who lives on the inside of us. Now in verse one of chapter two of the book of Colossians that pastor's leading us on a study through, says this, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and those who are at Laodicea. Laodicea was a town about 10 miles away from this town of Colossae that he was writing to this letter of Colossians. We're gonna to touch on that at the end of the message, but I wanna show you how serious what Paul is talking about really is. I pray today that you don't leave here with this thought that it's optional. I pray that there is a sense of urgency inside of you concerning what we're going to be dealing with, Christ alone. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Now, because mankind is so self-centered and so selfish, there is a little bit of narcissism in every one of us. When it all is said and done, every one of us likes us better. And while I want it to be good for you, I don't want it to be good for you at my expense. That's the basic unredeemed nature. That's who mankind is. That, that's... That's all of us with the layers peeled off. And the Apostle Paul, what, what does it mean to struggle? Go to the next slide, please. The next slide says this. Struggle, Paul said, I am in a strife. I, I, I am... I am in contention. I, I am, I'm in a contest for victory. Now notice this victory is not, is not one where everybody gets a participation trophy. Paul said, I'm in a struggle over you guys in Laodicea and in Colossae and even those that I have never seen, I'm struggling in your behalf. And I'm struggling because there's a need that you need met in your life. There is something going on. If you look at the definition, the way it's translated in the Message Bible, this is the next slide, Sarah. Work as hard as I know how. 
The New American Standard says struggle. The New Living Testament says I'm agonizing. The King James says I'm in a conflict. The Living Bible says how much I have struggled. The New International says how hard I am contending. Now, have you caught the picture? The Apostle Paul opens the chapter and says, I'm in a struggle, not because I'm in prison, not because I'm in chains, not because I'm in lack. I'm in a struggle over you. I'm struggling for you. I am contending for you. I want you to hear this. I want you to understand what's going on in this chapter. He said it's in, in, in slide five, Sarah, it says, on your behalf, as pastor says, seen and unseen. He said, if you've seen me, I'm contending for you. If you haven't seen me, I'm still contending for you. I'm struggling for you. Now notice in the next verse, in chapter two, verse two, it says, here's what I'm contending for that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love. Now, I, I think Harvest Time is a loving congregation. I, I think that we have been knit together in love. I think when folks live, leave here after they came, come for a visit, they felt loved. Do you agree with that? Okay, so Paul said, he, he's talking to us then, isn't he? He said, I'm encouraging you in that love, having been knit together, attaining to all the wealth that comes. Now notice where the wealth comes. The wealth comes from the full assurance of understanding, the full assurance of understanding. He said, I want you to understand something. My, my, I'm contending for you. I'm, I'm fighting for you. I'm, I'm struggling on your behalf because I want you to have a full understanding about something. Because if you don't have a full understanding about this, then you will be vulnerable to the enemy. You will be weakened. You will be in a position to where you'll not be able to stand. I'm not a doomsdayer, but I'm going to guarantee you this, and I'll prophesy it, it's going to get worse. I know you don't want to hear that, but I'm going to tell you, it is. I've been preaching for 20 years. You better learn how to believe God for your healing, because there's coming a time when you can't get in to see a doctor. I went to have my eyes examined recently. They said, do you have any insurance? And I said, well, yeah, I got this and this, gave them a card, you know. Do you know what? I cannot even see an eye doctor without a referral from my primary physician? If I want to file on my insurance. I have a friend who's a chiropractor. You know what, I can't even go to the chiropractor unless I have a referral from my, uh, 
primary provider. I thought I was the patient. Do you know? I have a friend who's currently undergoing cancer treatment in MD Anderson. For him to afford the medicine, there are grants that he has to apply for or he can't get the treatment. I'm telling you, church, I've been telling you for years, you better learn what it is that I'm about to tell you and the Apostle Paul has told us years ago. You bought any groceries lately? Getting cheaper, aren't they? Yeah, building materials going down. 12 foot, two by six. $15.98. That's over a dollar a foot. No wonder the trees stand so tall and proud. <laughs> Listen. Jesus didn't die just so we could get into heaven. Jesus died on the cross to redeem dead people. And when he redeemed dead people, he made us alive in him forevermore. We're, we're not hanging around to die. We're just hating, hanging around to transition. We're going to leave here someday. Now, I think most of you in here have a pretty good grasp that the only way you'll ever make it to heaven is Jesus. You got an idea? How about, how about if there was more to it than that? How about if, if he was saying, I want you to be encouraged. I like the fact that you're knit together in love. Give us slide seven, Sarah. That's interesting. Those slides don't have the numbers on them. Next slide. This is what the apostle is saying. My words. I want you to enjoy the full benefit of knowing Jesus as your savior. Can you say amen? And not allow the enemy to steal away your position, your authority, and your inheritance. That's what he's saying. How can I do that? How, how can I enjoy the benefit of my promise of heaven? How can I enjoy my inheritance that I have now? How can I have the benefits, the wealth that he called it, how can I have that now, or can I? You see, the fact is, is most of the church, and again, I'm not talking about Harvest Town, most of the church in general is not walking in the benefit that is theirs. We were listening yesterday afternoon to Jamie Pearson, Jeremy Pearson, 
who is the grandson of Kenneth Copeland. His mother is Kenneth's daughter. And he was talking about abiding in the vine and bearing fruit. And he said, the fruit is the proof of where you are abiding. He said, no one would walk up to an apple tree laden down with beautiful apples and say, I wonder what kind of tree this is. The fruit would bear proof of what kind of tree it was. And he was talking about when people look at you and look at me, do they see where we're planted? In other words, what kind of fruit is in our life? Now, I know it's offensive to some people to think that believers ought to live better than unbelievers. Now, that's about the same amount of stupidity as saying Rockefeller's children ought to live like mine. Because Rockefeller's not their daddy. Rockefeller's children live like the children of Rockefeller. The fruit that they manifest is the proof of where they're planted or where their seed came from. Now, here's what my point I'm trying to make is this, is that do you, as a believer, when someone looks at you, is the fruit that they see evidence of who you belong to, to where you're planted, to the, to the seed that you're coming up out of? You know, the Bible says that we Gentiles have been grafted in so that we enjoy the same benefits of our father Abraham. Now, is there evidence of that in our life? Can somebody look at your life and say, they deal with things better. Their, their life has a, a degree of happiness and joy and healthfulness that mine doesn't have. Well, Brother Jim, I don't think you're supposed to be that way. You know, in the world, you're not going to be anything. Jesus didn't have a head, have a bed to lay his head. Come on, come on. That's an old argument. When you study your New Testament, you will find and cannot deny that the believer is to live a different, totally different life than an unbeliever. I don't know about you, I was redeemed. Now, let me say this to you, church. It doesn't come without a price. You see, that's the rub. Most of us default to the easy side. Darlene, lay your hand over on Robert's knee, would you? the one that he hurt. Now, Father, let the heat bring healing. 
and thank you for it. Let it be a testimony of your power in this place. In Jesus' name. Now, Robert, you receive that right now. You'll be able to run through a troop and leap over a wall anytime now. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, we've got to hurry. What is it that keeps us from enjoying the wealth that Paul spoke of? Well, there's a number of things, but, but Paul deals with one specific thing in this chapter. But he deals with three specific things that steal away from you. Are you interested in knowing how to walk in what Paul's talking about? All right. I'm going to take you to the book of Genesis. How many of you know the devil, the devil never changes? Go to slide eight, please. Y'all remember the story in the third chapter about the fall of man? It said, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to woman, this is the serpent. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Is that what God said? No, that's what I'm telling you. See, you don't know. Listen. The woman said to the serpent from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. Is that on the screen? Okay. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now the snake, the serpent calls God a liar. Verse four says, the serpent said to the woman, surely you surely will not die. Now, what did God say they would do? What did Satan say they wouldn't do? Who are you believing? Who are you believing? You know the story. They ate. Their eyes were open. For some reason, they realized they were naked and they made loincloths to cover their nakedness. Go to slide 11. What if when you came in this morning, those great people that greet us every Sunday and every service at the door said to you, now listen, I want to tell you, just want you to be warned that we saw a rattlesnake in the worship center this morning, but we weren't able to catch it and we don't know where it is. Now, how would your approach be in? You would have sent your wife on ahead of you. 
I'm telling you, Paul's telling you, there is a snake in the church house. There's a snake in the White House. There's a snake in the outhouse. There's a snake in your house. There's a snake in my house and there's a snake in everybody's house. Now, if you do a little study and you go over to the book of Revelation, slide 13, it says the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Oh, brother Jim, you don't believe in the devil, do you? Yeah, and how I do. I've done hand-to-hand combat with him multiple times. I've watched him throw somebody down on the floor and they squirm around like a serpent, hissing. And I've watched the name of Jesus set them free. Because a serpent can't stand in the presence of the king. then why do we put up with him? And more importantly, why do we welcome him into our households and into our life? A couple of verses I want you to dwell on before we get into the message of these three things that Paul is struggling with. Slide 15 says, and the nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth, the son of man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. Mark 4, talking about the types of soils, the four types of soils that the seed was sowed in, the seed being the word of God, said, but since they didn't have deep roots, they don't last long. Now, now let me ask you, church, let me ask you this. I, I know this is serious stuff. Don't you want to endure to the end? Don't don't you want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? Don't don't you want the fruit of the Spirit hanging off of you to where people notice it? Well, Paul says, I'm struggling over these three areas that I want you to be aware of. I want you to be aware of these three things because they'll steal away from you what God wants to do in you. Now look in in verse four, slide 17, Sarah. I say this, 
so no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. That's human reason and logic. It just makes sense. That doesn't make sense. How how could somebody that died 2,000 years ago affect my life today? That don't make sense. That's leaning to your logic and your reason. How could God heal somebody? That don't make sense to me. It goes against my logic, my, my human reason. Paul said, I'm struggling because there is the enemy out there. The snake that's in the house is trying to delude you. He's trying to convince you of human logic and reason. You you see, you're you're not to depend upon your human logic and reason. You You were born again. This mind that's in you is the same mind that was also in Christ Jesus. Your mind is renewed. It's it's not an old earthly brain that floats between your ears. It is a renewed, visited, filled by the Holy Ghost kind of thing. Secondly, look at in verse eight, he says the second thing. See to it no one takes you captive. How do you get taken captive? Does that, does that, is that, does that, is that what you think about? Well, I'm captive. I can't, I can't get out of here. I I, I can go this way. I can go this far. I go over here, but I'm captive. I can't get out of here. Now notice how Paul says you are taken captive. Notice this. Notice this. Verse, verse eight of uh, slide 18, Sarah says, See that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. What do you base your decisions on? 37... Harvest time 37, be 38 in November. 37 years ago, I resigned on a Wednesday night the church that I was pastoring. Not because I had this great vision, I was going up on the corner of 2540 and 457, I was going to start a church and we were going to check the world. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Starting a church was the furthest thing from my mind. All I wanted was out of the mess I was in. And I felt like that was the best way to get out quick. And my youth pastor, Donald Reed, resigned the same night. He even had less of a clue. He was following the leader. The next morning, a lady called me and said, Brother Jim, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. She said, well, if you're going to start a church, we've got some land we'd like to donate. 
that we're talking about supernatural working of God in a willing but ignorant servant. I said to her, I don't know what I'm going to do, but we'll see. The phone kept ringing. People kept coming. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You going to start a church? I said, well, sound like a plan. I'm unemployed. <laughs> so I went over to the pastor then of the, what was Living Waters, the Ignite Church, and I said, listen, uh, could we bar your worship center and uh, I've got some people that want to talk with me about starting a church and said, would you just let us use your worship center as a place to meet? And he said, yeah, 97 people showed up. Word of mouth. That's no, no Facebook, no social media. Holy Ghost showed up. Maybe a few telephone calls. Not from me. So, being a Baptist, all I knew to do was take up an offering. So, we took up an offering, and, and like some churches that I'm familiar with, they counted in the presence of the congregation. And if it's not enough, they'll take up another offering. But we took up that offering that night, and you talk about a mixed multitude. It was every unhappy believer in Bay City, Texas, that was mad at somebody's preacher because they didn't do what they wanted them to do. And a half a dozen good Bible-believing people that wanted God to do something. It was a mixed multitude. We took up an offering, the offering that night, $11,726, if I remember correctly. I said, I believe God wants us to start a church. We dispatched the crew, find us a place. Right down here, just before you get to 35, where those storage buildings are, before the road turns, there was a little Jehovah's Witness original building that was there that had served as a jazzercise, exercise place. We rented it, $500 a month. We met Wednesday night, if I remember right. The whole back of the stage was mirrors <laughs> so they could see me preaching coming and going. And that's where this property started. Not because of some great vision, but because God in his infinite wisdom saw somebody that was willing to trust him. And we did that. And now we enjoy this. Probably if you wanted to replace Harvest Time Church today, buildings and land, you would probably be spending better than $2 million. It was evaluated at $1.2 when I left 
at 65. What am I saying? I'm saying God's looking for somebody that believes that he is God. He's looking for somebody that says, I will not be deluded. I will not be fooled. I will not be tricked. I will not be turned into something. I will not allow the same serpent that, that beguiled Eve in the garden to beguile me out of what God has for me today. See, that's the thing. That's what Paul's saying. Now, this, for verse 18, look at that. Verse 18 is the third thing. And then I'm going to show you these all three together. Verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, in the worship of angels, taking a stand on the visions he has seen, inflated without cause in his fleshly mind. Now, these three things, put sides 20 up if you would, please. Persuasive arguments, philosophy and empty deceptions, and defrauding. Paul says, I'm struggling in your behalf because I don't want you to lose the prize that comes from following Jesus. Now, only you know the serpent has beguiled you to where human reason and logic, to where earthly thoughts or worldly thoughts and worldly ways or fleshly efforts and good works have stolen God's best from you. The answer is Christ alone nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. You ask somebody, are you a Christian? I go to church, good works. Are they fooled into going to church takes the place of intimacy with Jesus? Now, I want to read, beginning in verse 9, and I want you to see the solution, the answer to our problem. Verse 9, chapter 2, the book of Colossians says, for in him, everybody say him. Now, who's him? Christ Jesus. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Paul says, if you don't want to be deceived, if you don't want to be deluded, if you don't want to be, if you want to enjoy the prize that was there, you need to understand, first of all, that Jesus is all there is of God. And I simply mean this by that. Everything that God is, Jesus is. The Bible says Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. 
Jesus himself said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus said, I do nothing, I say nothing, I do nothing apart from what I see the Father do. Jesus is the exact representation. Now the devil is going to try to convince you that that's not so. Verse 10 says, and in him, in Jesus, you have been what? Made complete. You are a finished product. All you have need of is provided for you. All the healing you need, all the provision you need, everything that you need to live this life in victory is provided in him. Now listen, I'm not saying that. God said that. God said that. God said that. You're not arguing with me, you're arguing with the Father. The Father said, I sent Jesus to you and he looks just like me, he acts just like me and he has made you complete and he is the head over all rule and authority. Who has the ultimate say? Jesus does. And in him, verse 11, and in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now remember physical fleshly circumcision of the male child was the evidence of the covenant with God. So he said in the same way that the old Israelites were circumcised as a sign of the covenant, you have been circumcised, but not in the flesh, but you have been circumcised in your heart so that the flesh has been cut off of your heart and now you are a spirit being. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. You belong to his family. You've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, Paul said, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm wanting you to understand the fact that you are in him. You are not of this world. Now, notice, you and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So who's in charge in your life, your body or your spirit? Boy, y'all are quiet. Lord Jesus, help me. Do you understand why you have so much problem believing that? Because the devil has fooled you and deluded you and led you into a path where you believe that human wisdom and human works are greater than what God has said. Hey, I'm bit with the same snake. I'm just telling you how it ought to be. I'm not telling you I got there yet. But I'm gonna tell you this, unless there's it hung up in front of us, unless there's a challenge put before us, we won't know where we're going. I read something this, this, just this week that said that a human being, when given the choice 
between doing something that is easy, perhaps sitting there watching television or getting to do something constructive that they'll choose the easy way most often. That convicted me. Now let's quickly run through this. Verse 13, when you were dead, dead in your transgressions and were uncircumcised of your flesh. Now this is what he did. He, Jesus, made you alive together with him. Now who are you living with? Who have you been made alive with? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. See, you thought this whole Christian thing was, well, you just get saved. When you die, you go to heaven and you just live the best you can. And, and, and no, 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 no. See, that, that's what I'm saying is the devil has lied to the church. Do you understand there's more power in this room than there is in a nuclear power plant? More power in this room than in the nuclear power plant. But you see, the reason is, is we have been brainwashed, we have been deluded, we have been lied to, and we think somehow that, 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 that we, we serve this little old meek and mild Jesus Christ who never got upset, who didn't have anything, poor old thing, I mean, just a poor old beggar. That ain't Jesus. You understand that? He's a reigning king. He's coming back for a reigning church. He's coming back to get us, to take us to be with him forevermore. Now hurry, verse 14 says, notice he's forgiven us of all of our transgressions. Are you struggling with sin? Oh yeah, poor me, I'm just a whole sinner. You know, I try the best. No, you're not. Stop talking that way. If you're born again, you're blood-bought, blood-washed, born to Jesus. My soul, quit identifying. Well, you know, I just want to be, I don't want to be proud. I just want, oh, come on, it's costing you your inheritance. Do you understand if you don't stand up and say, I am a blood-bought believer. I have been bought with a price. I am not my own. I belong to Jesus. He is my king. He is my Lord. He is my savior. He is the one that I serve. I am talking to him. It is Jesus, 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 Jesus. He's more than enough. He's all you need. He's everything. He is completing him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. More than enough. Not only that, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He's taken it out of the way, nailed it to a cross. <sighs> Quit looking at yourself as defeated. Quit talking about yourself as less than. Our, our, our pride is not in ourself, in our own ability. Our pride is in him who we belong to. My daddy was William Henry Hardaway. I had certain benefits because I was born into his family. 
You're born into the family of God. You have certain benefits that come with that. You're not an orphan. You are not left on your own. You're not struggling and fighting, trying to make it until Jesus comes to get you. You are more than a conqueror. You are a victor, not a victim. You have what it takes. You can do it. You can do it because God said you can do it. You can live righteously. You can walk in an abundance. You can have what God wants. Joy can be a normal companion in your life. Peace can be every night when you lay down because of Jesus. It's Jesus. Now notice what he did. Not only this, in verse 15, when he, who did it, Jesus, had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now let me ask you, what was the seed that was put inside of you when you gave your life to Jesus? See, see, not only was there a removal of your sin, there was a transference of his presence. So living inside of you is the same thing that the apostle Paul was talking about. Every promise of God is yes and amen. Hear me now, in him. So where do I need to go to get my healing? To him. Where do I know to get my provision? To him. The same place I went and got my salvation. I go to him. I go to him. Where do I get my comfort? Where do I get my direction? Where do I get my wisdom? Where do I get everything that I need in this life? Because I belong to him. When I was a young boy living at home, when I didn't know what direction to take, where did I go? I went to my daddy. Verse 18 says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. You know, I grew up in a Baptist church God, thank God for the Baptist. And as a young person, I was rewarded more for the things that I did not do than the things that I did. You grew up in the Pentecostal church the same way. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't cuss. I didn't chew. I didn't go with girls that did. You see, the thing that, well, he was a good man. Yeah, but was he a God man? A good man won't get you there. Because it's not about good works, lest any man should boast. There's going to be a lot of, wow, what are you doing here in heaven? Because you know why? Because we've been, well, do you know what we used to say when, when I mean, one of them real bad sinners used to get saved in the Baptist church? I mean, there's really a bad sinner. I mean, they did all of it. 
They went to drive in movies. They, I mean, they just did everything. <laughs> and you know what us old stoic believers would say? Well, I wasn't an old stoic believer then, but what they would say was, well, we'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. Not we'll be praying, doing everything we can to help them walk in it. See, they didn't have Paul's struggle. They were just waiting around to see what happened. You know, isn't it a whole lot easier to condemn somebody for the sin that they do than the sin that I do? <laughs> did you ever notice that? Boy, I, I can tell you in a heartbeat when Jesse needs to repent. <laughs> but Lord, I can't see it in my life at all. <laughs> and you're the same way, you know that. Now we got to hurry. Remember we, uh, we talked about that Paul had a burden for the church at Laodicea? Uh, slip on over to uh, slide 34. And I apologize. On my copy, I have numbers on the slides. Now, what does it say? Remember Laodicea from verse one. Now, let me read you. Now, pastor told us last time that the book of Colossians was written about 60 AD. Did you know that there wasn't any of the Bible books written until about 30 years after Jesus was gone? Well, I didn't know that. I thought he signed them all, certified to copy. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. See, fact of business, they didn't even think about it needed to be written down until they realized that he wasn't coming back. So they better write it down so we'd know what we was doing. Well, now, about, now let's fast forward about 30 more years to the book of Revelation. Also, you need to know the Bible is not chronological. You know, this didn't come after this, come after this, come after this. That, that's not even entered into the, the whole scheme of things. But I want to read you about this church at Laodicea. Remember he had a struggle for him? Remember he was concerned about him? To the angel of the church or to the leader of the church, to the pastor of the church in Laodicea write, the amen and the faithful true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this, I know your deeds. Now, now what was that, good works? He, he said, I, I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now, what was that about he that endures to the end shall be saved? Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy, hello America, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy for me gold and some eye salve so that you can see clearly. Let me tell you, church, what the devil wants to do in your life, your life, and your life, and your life, and your life, and my life. He wants to separate us from the life-giving source. See, See, why do many, many college students fall away when they go to college? 
because they've been taken away from their source, which was mom and daddy and maybe the local church. See, see, and, and here's how he wants to do it. He wants to come and get you thinking worldly thoughts. He wants to come and get you thinking, well, everybody else thinks that way. He, he wants to get you to listen to the evening news so you'll stay in a state of depression. Listen, you don't need to be informed. You can get more information accidentally in America than you need to know. I haven't watched the news clearly in over probably three years now. I don't watch the morning news. I don't watch the evening news. I don't watch the late news. I don't watch the early news. I don't watch the news news. You know why? Because I'm weak. I'm not strong like you. You can watch all that stuff not be moved. I can't. When I watch it, it changes me. I, I just can't do it. That's the reason I don't hang around with people that live in the world. You know why? Uh, yeah, I'm concerned that they get saved, but because I'm weak, I, I can't do it. Only people I can be around that, 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 that are in the world are the people that the Lord puts me with so that I can share witness with. I, I can hang around with the fruit inspectors because they're looking at the fruit. They're saying, what's the difference? And you get a chance to say, it's all about him. It's Jesus in the morning, Jesus in noon, and Jesus in the nighttime. And it's Jesus at the midnight hour when you don't know what to do. It's Jesus. See, Paul said, I'm concerned that you don't lose sight of the fact that it's Jesus alone. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. So when somebody says, why should the Father let you into heaven? You just smile. Jesus alone. It's Jesus. You're not going to heaven because you're so good looking. So you're rich. No, no, no. You're going to heaven because you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you see, here's the truth. Nobody knows that but you. Do you know I was a youth pastor when I got saved? <laughs> I don't say much for youth pastors. <laughs> and you know, my biggest concern after I finally acknowledged that I was, I was afraid that two things. One, I was afraid they would tar and feather me and run me out of town. And secondly, I thought, what about all those people that I had won to Jesus when I wasn't saved? See, I was raised a religious boy. I went to church nine months before I was born. I've been in church all my life, except for a very few moments. I'm just telling you, you're not immune. Six guidelines and let's close. Put the last two slides up, please. Here's some safeguards. One, acknowledge your vulnerability. If you're sitting here today and say, well, he's not talking to me. Whoo, you're on the verge, brother. I am talking to you. Yeah, you and you and you and you and you and you and me. There's not one of us in here that are too old 
too rich, too poor, too fat, too skinny, too ugly, whatever, to avoid the enemy because there's a snake in our house. And he's lying to us just exactly like he did to your mother Eve. So acknowledge your vulnerability. Discipline yourself. You do it. Well, preacher never did say that was wrong. Well, then shame on him. If it's wrong, he should have said it's wrong. Well, I don't want nobody judging me. Well, God, I hope somebody judges you because you're going to go to hell in a handbasket if you don't get judged. <laughs> somebody needs to tell you, you need Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Without him, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. And bless God, unless you make a difference in that, you're not getting out of here alive. That's the truth. I'm not being hateful. I'm just being honest. You know, hey, I'm 79 years old. I don't know how much longer I got. I need to tell you while I can. Discipline yourself. Keep growing. Stay grateful. You know, that's one of the things that I've had to work at as an old man, maintaining gratitude. Now let's finish up with this last one. Guard your eye and ear gate. Now I've said this before and ain't none of you hardly ever believed it, I don't think. Listen, you just don't go to the store to get a loaf of bread and commit adultery. There has been some thought before that. And that thought came from somewhere, something you saw or something you heard. That's the only way stuff gets in us. What we see and what we hear. That's the eye gate and the ear gate. And I'm telling you as plainly as I can tell you, if you don't govern what you watch and you don't govern what you hear, you are vulnerable. You are, you, are play, you are snake handling. Don't you criticize a church that handles snakes because you're handling one every day if you're listening and seeing things you know are wrong. Guard that. Know him, his work, and his ways. And the last one I had was stay dead. I don't mean stay dead in your sins and trespasses. I mean stay dead to your fleshly desire in the midst of that. Well, I've tried to tell you the truth as well as I know how. I don't, I'm just, you know, I wish I could say everybody that I ever baptized is going on with God. I wouldn't even venture a percentage, probably less than 50% uh, that I know. You going to church anymore? Well, no, we kind of dropped out. Well, what happened? Oh, well, this wasn't meeting our needs. See, he's trying to separate you from your life source. 
And the truth is, is, is church is a part of God's plan for life source. I've watched it a hundred times in churches that I've pastored. On fire, believe in God. I mean, on fire, win soul, winner. I, I mean, you could count on them. One Sunday, you notice them sitting back three rows. And you think, well, I guess somebody had their seat early. And then, then they sat there for a week or two or three. And then, then they moved back two or three more rows. And you think, well, I wonder what's going on. Who's that? Oh, they probably sitting with that new vista. First thing you know, they're sitting on the back row. And... One Sunday you look around and they're gone. See, they have believed a lie rather than pressing through and saying Jesus only. Because it's not about that, it's about him. See, and he's trying to do that in your life. He's trying to separate you from circumstances, by circumstances, Every one of us in here has had a reason to quit church a hundred times. You know that. I used to quit every Sunday night when I'd go home. I used to tell my wife, I'm not going back. And I was the pastor. Why? Because the devil was lying to me. But you know what? Monday morning, I'd back in my office. Keep going. Keep on. Don't stop. You can do it. You hear me? You can do it. You don't need to stop. I know your husband's not coming. I, I know your wife's mad at you. I, I know the kids are, uh, keep coming. Just, just keep growing. Well, I ain't getting anything out of it. Keep reading. Just, just stay with it. Because there comes a time when, when suddenly it, wow. And there it is. That's, that's one of those seasons. You say, when does that stop? When do I reach maturity? I don't know, 79's not enough. <laughs> Fact of the is, I believe I have more struggles now than I did when I was 49. But see, when I was 49, I was like you. I was thinking I could get it done myself. And now I realize unless he does it, it ain't happening. Would you make a commitment today? That's what I want you to do. I want you to say, I ain't quitting. Say that with me. I ain't quitting. Say it again. I ain't quitting. I don't, I don't care. I ain't quitting. I ain't quitting. Say it again. I ain't quitting. I know mama said say not say ain't, but say it anyway. I ain't quitting. Because Jesus is the reason for what I'm doing. Now, some of you need to come back home. Now, now you're here, I understand, but you need to come back home here. Can, can I read something to you? I, I thought this was so good. I, I read it in, in uh, my, my son posted this. It's not my most favorite guy, Erwin McManus. Uh, Mac, yeah. Said, I always found it odd that when Christians talk about desiring to know the deeper things of God, they usually mean growing in their knowledge of the Bible. 
The deep things of God are never academic. They are always intimate. The deep things of God can only be discovered by love. They can only be known by love. We all want the mind of God, but what we need is the heart of God. You've heard me say it many, many times before, the older I've gotten, my prayer is less talking and more listening. Less talking and more listening. I wish I could say I've arrived, but I have not. Because if you go back and read that chapter, you'll find that it's progressive. We are becoming. We have not become. We are becoming. We're on a journey. We're on a trip. We're going somewhere. We're not going to quit. We're not going to be fooled. We're not going to be tricked. We're not going to lose our prize. We're going to keep saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we're going to run the race, finish the course, and get our crown. And in the meantime, because of he living in us, we're going to be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. Sound like I'm a Jesus name only, church. <laughs> but, you know, that's Jesus' name. Father, we go from this place changed. I hope. That's my prayer. That's what I struggled over with Paul. I struggled over this. And so, Father, take what's been said and what's been felt and what's been seen and let it become fruit on our vine. Let others see Jesus in us and create a hunger in their hearts for our Savior, Jesus. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.